Everybody say, Dear Church. Well, we've got some things to talk about, church. You've been on my mind lately, and there's a lot going on in our world and in America right now specifically that has been stirring a message that I believe God's been speaking for a long time. In fact, when you look in the New Testament, most of the New Testament is written to the church. In fact, nine of Paul's letters, Apostle Paul, were written to specific churches and really the whole church at large. And then John, uh, who went on to write the book, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation, he was writing specifically in the final book of the Bible to seven different churches that were dealing with seven different issues. And this summer, as I was reading through my Bible, I kept hearing God say, speak to the church, speak to the church. And we're seeing so much go on. In fact, um, in the last month, we've seen some very you know, famous or I guess famous at one time for songs or for books that they wrote um, announcing, I'm leaving the church. I'm done with Christianity. I'm walking away from the faith. We've been hearing this word deconstruction, which is a modern term for what Hebrews says, a falling away from the faith, a walking away from believing in God. And so there's all kinds of conversations going on. And then you've got things going on in the political world, political landscape. And, and people are wondering, should we talk about this in the church? What does the church have to do with this? Where does the church stand? What does God call us to do? And there's almost this spirit of intimidation. It's like, don't talk about it. Just sing your little songs, have your little happy messages, and keep going on about your business. But I'm one of those guys that if there's a Goliath in the land, there's an opportunity for a David to step up. And I may not be the most skilled guy with a PhD and a doctorate and stuff, but I'm going to take a stab at this giant because I will not be intimidated to talk about the things that are confronting the church today. And I just believe that, that the God inside of me, the God inside of this church is bigger than the giants that are facing the church right now. And that God wants us to talk about things we need to talk about and really come back to what are the truths in God's word that are, that are uh, addressed with the issues and the questions that we're facing. And this is going to be a series not just for church people, but for unchurched people. So if you're someone here today and you're like, Paul, it's my first time to church. I'm not a church person and you're doing a series called Dear Church. This is for you too, my friends. Most of the people that I meet that, that I invite to our church that say, I don't know if I'm ready to go back to church. I'm not a church person. It's not because they don't like Jesus. It's because they don't understand the church. And if we can get some things that God wants us to get and, and prioritize them correctly and understand what God was saying in the New Testament to his church, I think there's a lot of lost people that would start coming back to church, get plugged in and say, I want to be a part of this thing that Jesus built 2,000 years ago because this thing sounds amazing right here, what God describes as his church. It is his church, by the way. It is, it's, this is God's church, what God wants to do. And he has a lot to say about it. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Yes. And already the Bible scholars in the room are like, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Church is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It had a different name in the Old Testament. Temple, tent of meeting, a gathering, an assembly of people. They would come together and we're going to define what church is in just a moment, but I want you to see something because something happened with God's church in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that was really important, something that we're going to talk about today. And in this series, it's kind of like getting into a swimming pool. The first week, we're going to take the first step into the pool, maybe the second, third step, but next week, we're going towards the deep end. You don't want to miss next week. I am going to address some things head on that, that, that not many people are talking about right now. And I was going to talk about it this week, but, but I felt like God was saying, Paul, you just got to get into the pool first and then go to the deep end the next week. 
So there's some things that we are going to get into. Don't miss next week, part two of Dear Church. But in this first week, this is kind of the first step in. And what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God was leading his people, his church, his children, the nation of Israel. And, uh, and, and it says in verse 4, the elders of Israel gathered. So this would be like leaders. This would be uh, people who serve among God's people that came to Samuel. In the Old Testament, there was one guy who would listen to God, and then he would relay what God spoke to the people of God. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, all of us get to hear God's voice. So we're not relying on Moses to tell us what God said. You get to hear what God says too. You get an, like Jesus broke the curse that separated people from God. And, and God doesn't just speak to preachers on a stage. He speaks to all people in his church. But in the Old Testament, here they were, and they came to Pastor Samuel, they came to Prophet Samuel, and they said, we've got some things to talk to you about. And watch what happens in verse five. They say, you are old. That's mean. Why did they say that? You're an old. And they say, your sons don't even follow your ways. In other words, there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on here. Your sons don't even follow what you preach. You might, Samuel, but your family doesn't, right? So they're angry about this. There's nothing new under the sun. There's all these kinds of things that still exist today in churches all over the world. And so here's what they say. This is the turning point with the children of God. They say, now appoint a king to lead us just like all the other nations have. We're tired of God being our pastor. We want our own pastor. We're tired of God being the leader, the king, the head of us. We want someone just like all the other nations. We've been watching American Idol and we need an idol for us too. We've been watching The Voice and we're ready to uh, get a celebrity preacher leading us here. We want to create a leader that we can touch and feel, that we can idolize and follow what they say. All right, so watch what happens next in verse six. When they say this, Samuel's heart is broken. He's disappointed. Why? Because he knows God's will for his church. In the next verse, God says this to Samuel. Listen to what these people are telling you, Samuel. It's not you that they've rejected. They've rejected me. They've rejected me as their shepherd. They've rejected me as their deliverer. They've rejected me for the voice that's supposed to lead them. And they want somebody else to be their king. And watch what he says next in the next verse. He says, they've been doing this from the very beginning. I'm the one who brought them out of Egypt. I was their shepherd. I was trying to help them, but they kept forsaking me and serving other gods. Now, some gods were made of golden calves that they would build, and other gods were people that they would elevate and lift up. So they're doing this to you, Samuel, but really they're doing this to me. And watch what happens in the next verse. He says, now listen to these people, but warn them. Warn the children of God, warn the church solemnly and let them know what this king will do, how he will rule, how he will reign and the rights that he will claim. And so the first king was Saul and then it was David, then it was Solomon and it just went down this whole train wreck of so much damage that began to happen to the children of God as they prostituted themselves to more idols and more gods and walked away. And then finally in the New Testament, God would send his son Jesus to redeem not just Israel, but anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who's not a Jew, anyone who by faith can step into the family of God. Come on, how many are thankful that by faith we are saved, not by our birth, not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus that invites all of us into the family of God. And then Jesus says, 
church. For the first time in the New Testament, really the first time in the Bible, the word church is introduced. And it's in Matthew 16. Jesus is talking to his church, his group of disciples, 12 of them. One of them is Judas, who's going to betray him. And so he's talking to them. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And so the disciples go, well, some say you're Elijah, uh, you know, a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. You've come back. And some say you're a good preacher. Some say you're a miracle worker. Some say you're a good guy. And Jesus says, no, no, who do you say that I am? So what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples was, I want you to have a personal revelation of who I am to you. Not what another preacher says, not what another church member says. I want all the disciples to have a personal revelation of who I am to them. This is good news and this is important for the church. Dear church, please stop riding off the coattails of other people's revelation of who God is. Please have a personal revelation of who Jesus is to you. It wasn't until I stopped listening, or I, I should say this, it wasn't until I stopped trying to form my faith just around what my dad and mom said, but really having a personal relationship with Jesus that I finally experienced that revelation of who God was to me. God wants to speak to you. There is no junior varsity God. The same God that speaks to Billy Graham, Billy Joe, Oral Roberts wants to speak to you and your kids and the teenagers in this room, whatever age you are, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so Peter speaks up. He says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's it. That's the revelation. And this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And Peter, I tell you that you are a rock. But I'm saying this right now about this statement you're saying on this rock. Now, this is where people misconstrued the scripture. Jesus wasn't saying on the rock of Peter. He was saying on the rock of the revelation that Peter just said. So he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, so let's stop there right, right for a second. So many people get this mixed up. They think that Peter was the guy that Jesus wanted to build his church through. So Peter preaches a great sermon in Acts chapter 2. The church grows. Peter dies. And then they got to replace Peter with another Peter and another Peter. And then they start calling him the Pope. And then another pope and another pope. And we've, we've built these celebrities, whether it's in the Catholic church or the charismatic church. We build these preachers where it's like Todd White, <laughs> Rich Jr. I've got my celebrity. I've, these are my guys. Robert Madu. When he's there, you better send me the speaker schedule because I'm not going for the others. I've got my idol that I'm after. This is my American. And what's, what's, what's wrong is these guys don't even want this. But we have a society that's obsessed with being just like the world. Just like the Israelites said, we're tired of shepherd Jesus being our pastor. We need human celebrities that we can follow and idolize and read their books and follow them. When they walk away from the faith, we're going to follow them. Stop following people that are so unsteady. Start following pastor Jesus. The only celebrity we should be lifting up is Pope Jesus. All right, so we just took a step into the pool. By the way, I'm going to give you an email this series because I want this to be a participation series. And uh, I, want you to, I want you to write this email down in your notes. Dear church at victory.com. Dear church at victory.com. 
Because I want to talk about things that are on your mind, things that you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people that you go to school with are talking about when it comes to church, Christianity, and faith. Like maybe you are talking about some things that are kind of confusing you. Maybe you're here today and you're on the fence about God, or you're on the fence about church, you're on the fence about faith. Maybe you've kind of seen some things that just make you feel yucky and you're like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. We want to hear about this. Now listen, I'm giving this email out to all the services and online. So I'm going to get thousands of emails. I may not answer every question. But if we get enough of the same topic or questions that start resounding, this is why I want you to share your thoughts. Because if you, chances are, if you're thinking something, maybe someone else is thinking something. And so if I can hear some of that, I want to be able to address that during one of these weeks. And we want to be able to talk about it. But what happened was Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church, not on Peter, not on a person here on this earth, but on the revelation that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave and he invites all of us to belong in God's household, his family, the church and the gates of Hades and all the demonic deconstruction trying to pull people away from believing in the one true God cannot prevail against the belief that Jesus is my firm foundation. Like my foundation is not on a person. They didn't make my faith, so they can't take my faith. All right, so let's, let's talk about this. Um, church, everybody say church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, which means a gathering or an assembly of people. Um, the Hebrew word is kahal. Again, it's, they both mean the same thing. The Old and the New Testament, it's an assembly. It's a gathering of God's family by faith, not by birth, but by faith for a purpose. And that's important because in week three and four of this series, we're going to get into the purpose of the church. Why does the church exist? So we are going to talk apologetics. We are going to talk about how do we defend our faith. But then we're going to get into what is your purpose and why does this matter to a college student or a single parent mom, a teacher, a coach, an engineer, uh, a musician, whatever your role is out there, whatever you're doing, whatever season you're in, you have a purpose because God's purpose for the church is a purpose for all of us. And all of us are called to be a part of this. So in Revelation 1 verse 19, John the apostle who lived longer than all the other disciples, he got this revelation from God. And he heard from Jesus to write these things down, to write a letter to the church. And then in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord said this, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying to the church. This is why we're doing this series, is because we want to lean into what is God saying to his church. If you have ears to hear, listen to what the spirit is saying to the church. He keeps on to go say this. And, and he talks to churches about, hey, you've fallen into lukewarmness. You've lifted up idols. You've put people on pedestals. You, you, you put on a good show. You have a reputation of compassion, but inwardly you're hiding sexual morality. You're putting up with stuff that's just destroying your hearts and you have a good face, but inwardly your heart is impure. And so John starts writing to the church and just calling out all the crud that the church has been dealing with. And it's beautiful. And for the purpose it's because Jesus is coming back for a bride that is fully committed to him. That's you and me. God is not done with his bride. And there will be a wedding where God will return. And it's not going to be like what we've seen here on this earth. And some of you are like, uh, I'm a man. I'm not a bride. I don't understand this. And we have some people, we got a runaway bride going on in our culture right now. Saying, I don't know if I want to put a ring on this. I think I'd rather still hold on to my porn. 
I still hold on to what I want to do. I'd still like to hold on to my bitterness, my resentment towards the last church that broke my heart, my anger towards the man who, who hurt me, hurt me when I was a kid. We, we've, got, we've got a church that's confused. So we have gender confusion. We have church confusion. We have faith confusion. And this is a series to confront the confusion and bring some truth. What is the Spirit saying to his church? Paul wrote nine letters to nine different churches. Ultimately, Paul would write 13 books. Nine of them would be to the church, and then four of them would be towards pastors, leaders, and servants in the church, like Timothy and Titus and Philemon. But I started to look at something, because I was asking God, God, where do I start with this series? And I heard God say, begin with the ending. So I was looking at Revelation. He said, no, begin with the ending of Paul's letters to the churches. So I looked at Paul's first letter, which was Romans, which is one of the most beautiful letters on faith, describing what it means to follow God and how it changes your mind and changes your heart, which ultimately brings healing to your marriage and your family and your life and your finances. And it's a beautiful letter. But in Romans 16, there's something that's very rarely talked about. And it's all the people that made it possible. And I started looking at the names that were at the back of Romans 16 and then the names that were at the end of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians. And all of a sudden it started to stir and God said, the church has been making celebrities out of authors and pastors and songwriters when this whole thing is bigger than just one voice, bigger than just one preacher. It's all these people. And so I want to title this first part of the series, Roll the Credits. Somebody say, roll the credits. Roll the credits. I was watching a movie with my boys this summer, and at the end of the movie, people started to get up and walk out because they had seen all the beautiful actors and all the great stuff in the movie, and the credits started rolling. I mean, they rolled for 10 minutes, and I'm like, they won't stop. There's thousands of names that made this movie. It wasn't just Tom Hanks. It wasn't just Tim Allen. I mean, there was a lot of people that were part of this. These people were the producers. These people were the directors. These people helped with this. These people did the animation. And these people, they did the graphic design. And these people came up with this. And it was starting to list all of their titles and all their roles and all of the names. And I started thinking about Romans. Some of y'all are looking at these names behind me. You're like, I recognize those names. It's your names. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I don't see my name up there. <laughs> Keep coming to church and you'll see it up there, man. <laughs> it's about to get real, church. We didn't, call, we didn't pull out all the names, but I said, pull out as many names as you can. Anyone who's ever showed up to church, anyone who's given a penny or just come. Because you guys are the ones that make this possible. The church is not built on celebrity preachers. The church is built on servants who say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. We need less celebrity culture and more servant culture. We need less focus on the stage and more focus on the whole collaboration that we are part of something that is bigger than one person, that is bigger than one speaker, bigger than one songwriter. And so Paul starts talking in Romans 16, and watch what he says in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Everybody say Phoebe. Is there a book called Phoebe in the Bible? Some of y'all are like, I still don't see my name up there. <laughs> You're pulling out your phone like, dear church at victory.com. Why is my kid's name not on the screen right now? <laughs> just pull the names off. Let me just go back to the graphic. Listen, listen to what Paul says here. He says, listen, there's a lot of people that are part of this church. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She's a deacon in the church, and, and, and I want you to treat her the way you treat me. 
Whoa. Whoa. Paul's saying, don't treat ladies in the church different than you treat men. Don't treat someone who serves in hospitality different than you treat Todd White on the stage. Don't you start elevating Richie Jr. and start de-elevating those that are serving as ushers and greeters. We're in a culture that just wants to lift up superstars, and there are super hearts in the room that we need to recognize. There's people like Phoebe that made this possible. And I'm thankful for the ladies in this church. God never wanted his church to be ran only by men. We are, listen, the future is female and male working hand in hand. I can't do this without Ashley. There are people in this church behind the scenes. Treat the ladies the same way you treat the men. And it says, I was benefited from Phoebe. In other words, Romans was written because Phoebe had an impact on me. And then he goes on to say in verse three, and please, Priscilla and Aquila. Is there a book in the Bible called Priscilla and Aquila? I thought there was first Priscilla and Aquila, chapter three, verse 14. You're like, that is heresy. <laughs> but what happens is we get so focused on the titles and the names on the books at the top, the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Matthew, John, and we forget that Priscilla and Aquila, they, they had a church that they were leading, and they were the ones that led so many people to Christ, which impacted Paul. Roll the credits, my friend. There are more people than you realize that are making this story possible. We stand on the shoulders of so many people that prayed in the prayer room for this building to be built. People whose names you won't hear about. This is not built on Billy Joe Doherty or Sharon Doherty or Paul Doherty or Ashley Doherty. This thing is built on thousands of names of people who have been sowing and giving and serving and praying and going to the Dream Center and reaching out and helping out at Children's Church and leading in the nursery. And yet, we just want to focus on one name. It says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, the first guy that got saved. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding. Outstanding. You hear what Paul's saying? He's like, guys, you are missing it. Like, there are a lot of people that are a part of this story. You should just read Paul's letters to the church and circle every time he mentions a name because it's beautiful. He talks about Epaphroditus. He talks about people who serve behind the scenes, people who work behind the sound booth, people who work behind the cameras, people who work with online church, people who are working that you never see, but they are part of making this story happen. The church is bigger than just one or two people. He goes on to say, greet Ampliatus and greet Urbanus, a co-worker in Christ, and greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. There are people in this church who have devoted their life to serving God. They've chosen not to get married. There are people in this church who were married at what time, and, and their spouse passed away, and they've chosen to remain unmarried so that they can serve God more. My mom is one of them. She has decided just to serve God more. I said, mom, are you going to get remarried? She goes, no. Some of you guys, like, you just need to put the ring away. Stop trying to propose to my mom. <laughs> I'm serious. The first two years after my dad passed, four or five guys proposed to my mom, brought their rings to church. She's like, no. <laughs> grand grand over here. Iru has given the last 30 years of her life serving this church. There's a whole lot of people that aren't on stage. Man, if I could just sum up this word right here again, 
Servant culture. That's what victory needs to be about. Servant culture is greater than celebrity culture. Servant culture. In other words, all of us are part of this. Paul just keeps going. He's like, there's Iru, there's Sharon, there's Tryphena, there's Tryphosa, there's Herodian, there's Urbanus, there's Apilles, there's Rufus. Come on, Rufus. Rufus! He's chosen in the Lord. And don't forget about Rufus's mama. Come on, I'm thankful for Rufus's mama because she was a mama to me too. You hear what Paul's saying? He's like, stop making this about me. There's so many people that are part of this story. Somebody say, roll the credits. Hey, someday the credits are going to be rolled in heaven. And there's a book with a whole lot of names on it called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name's going to be in it, my friend. You may have never preached on a stage at Victory, but God sees you. And he says, yes, servant John, servant Ruth, servant Rufus, servant Sarah, servant Isaac. He will call your name. And then you'll start to think about it and you'll go, oh, there were so many people that were part of my story. There were so many people that weren't on a stage that changed my life. It was my teacher. It was my coach. It was the nurse at the hospital that prayed for me when I was battling cancer. It was was those people that came and visited me when I was in jail. And then I got out and then I got in the church and they invited me to their house. And I was part of their connect group. And then it was was my employer. He gave me a job. The pastor had a little bit to do with it, but it was a whole lot of other people. And you start to realize this thing is way bigger than just one. There's a whole lot of servants that made this happen. Watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this in um, um, verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters. In other words, dear church. I would say dear church. He says, dear church, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Ouch. (laughs) Paul's saying, church, I want to talk to you about spiritual matters, but you're still carrying a worldly attitude. In fact, you're acting like mere infants in Christ, he says. I'm giving you milk, not solid food. Now, we have a a one-year-old that just transitioned from milk to hard foods, and it's awesome. He's, like, eating the same foods as his brothers. But can you imagine if he was, like, five years old and he was still only having milk and couldn't eat regular food? We would go, something should have changed a while ago, and yet Paul is saying, some of you are still carrying attitudes that are infantile when you have been in church long enough to know this is not about position and rank and and treating a rich person better than you treat someone who's poor, treating one person one way because they can give you something and treating another person who can't give you anything, something other, like racism has got to stop, prejudice has got to stop, jealousy has got to stop, quarreling and divisiveness has got to stop. Dear church, the world is watching. So welcome people with open arms. I don't care what the nation is saying. You are under a different government of Jesus Christ. So welcome every person, whether they came from Iraq or Iran or Mexico or Peru. Love them as they come in your church. There's a front row seat for the poorest person in the room or the richest person. Whether you came on a bus or in a Rolls Royce, you are welcome in this church. Whether you rolled up in a wheelchair or you came strong and mighty after a triathlon this past week, you are welcome in this church. Whether you're battling, whatever it is, whatever temptation or sin you came in here with, Paul's saying, listen, you guys, you're you're treating people differently. You want to know what he's really saying here? Watch what he says. In verse 3, he says, you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and there's quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Pastor Paul, And another says, I follow Pastor Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? Verse five, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul 
Why are we, why are we celebritizing people in the church? We're only servants, all of us, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I want to stop right there. All of us have a task. All of us are called to serve. All of us have a significant, valuable part to play. I want to just let those credits roll again. And don't get offended if your name's not on there. I promise you're still part of this church. We'll get your name back up there soon. But I want to call some people out today to honor you. If you're a teacher or a coach or you work in education as a principal or superintendent or you work in homeschool co-op or you're teaching kids at home, if you do any kind of educational work, will you stand up? Because you don't get enough credit, but you spend hours and days with children and teenagers that you are pastoring. You are pastoring. You are leading the next generation. Stay standing. Coaches, teachers, professors in university, professors at colleges, stay standing. Will you stay standing? It's because of you that I'm here. It's because of my first grade teacher. It's because of my K-5 teacher, Miss Opa. It's because of Dalasandra. Please stay standing. I want to pray for all the teachers and coaches. Because education is, is, is it, there's an attack right now. And school's about to start this week. And there's attacks happening in the educational system. And we need godly teachers and coaches. And if you're a college student and you are training to be a future teacher or a future coach, will you stand up? Because we need you. And if you're a high schooler and it's in your heart, you have a passion to be a teacher one day or a principal, stand up because we need you. The church needs you. The church needs more teachers and more coaches and more principals who love God and love people. And I want the keys to come out. I want us to stretch our hands out to all those who work in education. Lord, I pray from kindergarten through 12th grade and into college and into university that we would have more amazing teachers like these that are standing here right now. More coaches and more people who work behind the scenes to keep the education going and to train us up. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen them as they feel exhausted at times in the classroom, as they feel tired or weary or unsupported. I pray, God, that they would feel the support of this church. And God, I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that you would strengthen their hands for the work that they're doing. And God, guard their minds and help them to feel so valuable every time they come to church. That they're just as valuable as the missionary in Africa. Just as valuable as the evangelist that preaches at conferences. The pastor on a stage. God, that as they go in their classroom, on the football field, the basketball court. As they're in the office with children, with teenagers. God, that they would be led with integrity. That they would lead with wisdom from heaven. And God, that they would be a part of raising up a generation. God, that knows how loved they are by a God in heaven who gave his son for them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. Where's the business people at? If you're a businessman, businesswoman, if you work for a company, you own a company, you work at a business, or even you work at a bank, will you stand up? I want all the business people in the room. Come on, give it up for these business leaders. Or if you're in college studying for business, you stand up too, because you're about to start your own business. Entrepreneurs, those that work for other companies, work at other places out there and you're providing for your family and you're providing for many people and at the same time many of you are sacrificing when you come to church you're giving to God and I just want to say thank you because the church needs more of you and sometimes the enemy tries to stir up a comparison this is why Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 he says don't let the ears say to the eye I don't need you 
Or the nose say to the mouth, you're no longer necessary. We need more nosy people. No. We need mouths and noses and we need ears and eyes and hands and feet. Every part matters. Dear church, we need more business people. More people that are rising up in the marketplace saying, I'm going to be a light at my company. I'm going to show up and I'm going to work hard and walk in integrity. And I'm going to honor people. And I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be faithful. Some of you are leading connect groups from your home. You're leading connect groups at your company. You're, you're doing extra things on the side and you're so busy and yet you still make time for God and that is so powerful. And I wanna pray for you. Lord, I pray for every businessman, businesswoman, every guy or girl that's an entrepreneur, that's working for companies, working at a bank, God, that you would give them strength to be a light. God, that they would bring hope to the hopeless. God, that they would recognize how valuable their part is in this church. God, that they are important and valuable and what they're doing is just as powerful as those that are serving in Cambodia, those that are serving on the mission field, those that are working in orphanages. God, I thank you that these business people are making it possible for so many people to experience the gospel. God, through their generosity, through their wisdom, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's the one who makes it grow. And each of us are doing our part. At the end of 1 Corinthians 3, he says, let's stop elevating one guy, one person. Let's stop hanging our whole belief system on what the latest preacher is saying. Let's stop all trying to conform into the image of a guy on a stage. Let's be more about Jesus. Let's recognize all the parts in the church that are so valuable, so important, so necessary. So I want to ask those that work in medicine. If you work in the medical field, will you stand up? Nurses, doctors, dentists. If you work in the medical field, come on. You're taking care of our bodies. Our eyes, our ears, our noses, our throats, our teeth, our hearts, our skin. Whatever area of the medical field you work in, stay standing. We need you. We need you. And as you're standing, I want some others to stand with you. If you work in law enforcement or first responder, anyway, in, in, in a fireman, IMSA, policeman, poli anyone who's working to serve our city in that way, will you stand up? Come on, let's cheer on our law enforcement. Let's cheer on all those that serve in the ambulance, the IMSA, first responders, firemen. We need you. And your part in the church is so valuable. You are a champion. You're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. You are so valuable. Let's pray right now for those that are working in these areas. God, we pray, Lord, that you give them wisdom. Lord, that you protect them as they're protecting us. As they're working on hearts and working on bodies. As they're walking into rooms that seem so scary in the moment. How am I supposed to handle this, Lord, that you give them wisdom. You direct their hands. You direct them in moments where they're asking you for your grace to talk with families, to walk them through situations that aren't easy. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help the nurses and the doctors and the dentists and those that are serving in our city, the law enforcement, firemen, ambulance, IMSA, God, first responders. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for your grace for each of them. And then they would know how valuable and important their part is in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, at some point, I'm going to get every single one of you to stand up. Somebody say, roll the credits. Every name matters. Every name matters. Let's go back to that graphic of the church. 
because I want to end this message focusing collectively on all of us. What is it that I'm really saying when I say you matter? I'm saying, number one, your presence matters. Your presence matters. When you show up, you bring the presence of God and you build something in this church that we need. Your presence makes an impact. There was this older man, him and his wife went to our church and they weren't the head ushers, they weren't the head greeters. They weren't on staff. They didn't work in children's church or youth. In fact, the man, he was an attorney here in Tulsa. He was a lawyer. Give it up for all the lawyers and attorneys and judges and those that work in, in all the courts. Man. He was, a, he was a godly lawyer, and, and, and he would just show up. He would show up to football games, basketball games. He'd show up to church. He just knew my presence matters. In a day and age where we could all sit at home and watch church online, and I'm thankful that we offer church online for those who aren't able to get here, those who don't have transportation, those who may be sick in the hospital, those who live in another city or country. But let's not let online church substitute showing up when you can get here to be in this service because your presence matters. There's people on your road that are looking for you to lift their hand up and say, my best days are still in front of me. There's people who may never go down to an altar, but they'll sit beside you on the road. And your presence makes an impact on them. We need you. So this guy, Gordon, he, him and Karen, they would come to church. They'd just show up. And, and I was five years old, and Gordon was just so kind to our family, him and Karen. And um, again, there was people that I didn't always see all the time. And, and so any, anytime you see someone who's consistent and faithful and they just keep showing up, it just builds a trust factor. So when our family went through a house fire, guess who was there? Gordon and Karen. And uh, we lost all of our toys, and Gordon and Karen took us to Walmart, and they bought us a few toys. And, and then when we were living at my grandma's house and then living at someone else's house, they would, they would just invite us to hang out. And then we ended up moving in our own house as a family, and it ended up being in Gordon's neighborhood. And so Gordon and Karen, they would invite us to come over, and they grill hot dogs, and they make chocolate shakes, which is a weird combination. <laughs> And we'd sit outside and it would get dark and Gordon would teach us how to make whippoorwill sounds. I can't do it, but he did it really good. And then he had a Mercedes, which was awesome. And he'd let us sit in his Mercedes and he'd pretend like we were driving and, and he would talk to us. And then he would take us out, him and Karen, they would take us out to, this was weird, but it was cool. They would take us out to junkyards. And, and Karen would just roll her eyes and laugh. And Gordon would say, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And he'd say, there's nothing that cannot turn into a treasure. I would remember that because the day would come where I would feel like trash. And I'd remember Gordon's words. There's nothing that looks like trash that God can't turn into a treasure. So when Gordon died, I was at his funeral and I got to talk. And I talked about how Gordon's presence changed my life. He didn't work on staff at the church wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a coach, he wasn't my dad, he wasn't some famous celebrity pastor, he was just a guy who kept showing up to church, him and Karen. Number two, your uniqueness matters. Your uniqueness, your unique personality. I'm so glad that we're not all the same. Last night when I was coming to church, one of my sons said, Daddy, I wore jeans just like you. And the other son goes, I didn't, I wore shorts. And I go, cool. I'm glad you wore shorts. I'm glad that not everyone looks the same. Whether you came in shorts or jeans or flip-flops or you're wearing a hat, come as you are to this church. I'm glad that we are a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. We need the young and we need the old.
world. And we need parents and we need grandparents. And we need children and we need te- We need all of you with your unique personality. Some of you are extroverted. Some of you are introverted. Some of you love to work with children and youth. Some of you do not love to work with children and youth. We need all of you. Some of you love working in the hospital. Some of you love going to the nursing home. And this is what Paul says. He says in Romans chapter 12, he says, your serving matters. Whether you're serving here or serving there or serving with generosity, every single unique thing about you matters. Now, I could do a whole series on each of these points, but I got to keep going. Number three, your serving matters. Like I was saying, you're serving what you do. Can I just have all those who volunteer in one area or any area of the church, whether it's once a month or twice a month or every now and then, I want you to just come and stand behind me on this stage. Can we give it up for anyone who serves anywhere in the church? Just come on up. Just leave your seat. In fact, if, you're, if you work on staff or if you're a volunteer, just come on up here. Just come stand behind me. Come on. We're going to cheer on all those that are giving time and energy and gifts and talents to help serve in the church. Everybody say, roll the credits, Paul. Come on, this thing ain't about one guy or one girl. This ain't built on the sacrifices of one person. This is built on the sacrifices of thousands of people that are making this church happen. Number four, your generosity matters. Your generosity matters. All right, keep coming, keep coming. We got room. And if there's not room, just stand in front of the stage. Everybody say your generosity matters. The movie is being made, but it's not being made by one person. It's a lot of people that are part of this. There's a lot of people that are producing this. There's a lot of people that are in on this, that are saying, you know what? We got people to reach in North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East, West. We got churches we need to support. We got some orphanages we need to build, Paul. So here's what I can give. I can give five loaves and two fish. It's not much, but I think God can multiply. Some of you, you've given a button on your shirt. That's what you say, you know, this is what I can give right now. Some of you have given a dime, a nickel, a penny. You know the names that we were rolling on the screen? It's anyone who's ever come and anyone who's ever given just a penny to the church. So here's what I want us to do. If you've ever given just a penny or a nickel or given your time, would you come and stand at the front of the stage? Come on. We are switching places today. You get to sit out there and look at the stage. I'm getting out there and I want you to get up on the stage. Come on. I'm going to find a way to turn this altar call into 100% participation. This is a participation series. Come on. Hey, you came to church. That's generous. Come on up here, man. You came to church. You gave your time. You showed up. You gave your smile. You gave somebody a hug. Some of y'all are like, ah, I'm leaving. Don't leave. We need you. God needs you. We need each other. We need each other. Say, roll the credits. (laughs) Roll the credits, man. Roll the credits. I promise you all your favorite restaurants and games and stuff will still be on. I'm going to dismiss in five minutes. This is it right here. Because the way I saw this message going was that I was going to switch places with you. That I was going to remind you, dear church, that you guys, go ahead, you guys are the ones that are making this church, this kingdom of God continue to grow. One waters, one plants, but God makes it grow through all of us. The ear, the eye, the nose, the hand, the foot, the toe, the finger, 
Each part of us has a part to play. Dear church, let's stop making it about one singer, one preacher, one evangelist. It's all of us. Number five, your faith matters. Your faith matters. What do I mean by that? While some people are being bold and vocal and loud saying, I'm walking away from the faith. I'm, I no longer believe. We need to be bold and vocal about staying with the faith in God. Can I say something? Leaving the faith is easy. The path of confusion is an easy path to take. I'm gonna question everything and I'm gonna live confused and I'm not gonna believe in anything. But it takes true guts to believe and embrace the uncertainty and say, I believe there's a God and I believe he's good. And my faith is not built on a preacher or an author. So I don't care what happens in their belief system. They didn't make my faith and they can't take my faith. My faith is on a firm foundation on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And when you hold on to faith and when you keep the faith, it's contagious. It makes guys like me and girls in this church go, man, you're like a mother in the faith to me. You're like a father in the faith to me. It was your decision to keep going even after the divorce. It was your decision to keep moving forward even after you lost your wife to cancer. It was your decision to keep the faith that made such an impact on me. Sure, I appreciate good podcasts. I appreciate the good preachers, but it was your faith that really changed what was happening in my heart. Your faith matters. And lastly, your love matters. Your love matters. Your love matters. Dear church, let us love one another for love is from God. And anyone who loves is born of God. Dear church, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Dear church, one commandment Jesus gave us, and that is to love each other. And by this, the world will know that you are his disciples, not by your apologetics, not by your knowledge, not by your reasoning, not by your logic, but by your love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, the world doesn't need a church that's puffed up with pride from knowledge. The world needs a church like Victory that's multicultural, multi-generational, that says we're in this together. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Come on, somebody. And as we walk in that love, as we love one another, and as we treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we say, on my watch, we're gonna treat each other with kindness. Men and women, whether you came in here on a Rolls Royce or came in here off the bus, whether you slept under the bridge last night, or whether you gave a million dollars, you are valuable and you are important. And I need you and God needs you. And the world needs a church that walks in such authentic love. That's not puffing up some guy on stage, but saying, you know what, we're all part of this. Roll the credits, we're all in on this. Dear church, it's time we start living the way that God's called us to live. I'm asking us just to bow our heads and close our eyes today. If you're here right now and you need God's forgiveness, you need a fresh start. You need to surrender to Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. You're not alone. Yeah, hands going up all over this room. The family of God is welcoming you today. God with open arms is saying, I forgive you, man. I love you, I'm not finished with you. Your future is bright. Your sins do not define you. You are defined by the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I'm gonna ask all of us, even those that didn't raise our hands, to say this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Thank you for giving your life for me. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I receive your grace. And I choose to be part of what you're building, your church. And I choose to forgive those who have hurt me. And I choose to love the way that you love me. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, you guys are preaching a beautiful sermon. I came down to your altar call today.